0: Welcome to Video Store. My name is Sam Mulberry. Today we are talking about the 1973 film Fantastic Planet. So let's step into Barrett Fisher's Video Store. Barrett, how you doing?
1: Well, Sam, it's another episode of Video Store, so I'm excited.
0: That's right. That's right. Um, this is one that I'm really interested to talk about because I had no knowledge at all of this. This wasn't even a title that I had heard, so I went into this with no context or history. Uh going into this. What is your history with this film?
1: Well, back in the, uh, in the early early to mid-70s when I was uh, in high school, uh, our local PBS station every year would run and would show the International Animation Festival, um, which I didn't do enough research on that. I guess it must have been a festival that was held somewhere, and then they would broadcast the films. And I look forward to that every year. It must have begun in 1970, 71, something like that. And every year, I think it was in the fall, they would show a series of these films. And that's how I encountered Fantastic Planet. Um, and it just, you know, kind of burned into my brain. I think maybe I tracked it down and watched it one more time after that, maybe sometime in the 80s, I can't recall, but it just takes me back to high school, probably not long after, after it debuted, and most of it must have been maybe 1974 or so that I, that I saw it. And so that was an annual, that was part of my annual uh, animation festival.
0: Well, that's really interesting because very often these, these films, you know, when I ask you, I'm always surprised how recent your view, your original viewing of the films are. So this is interesting because this is one that, like you said, is pretty close to when this film, uh, Mm -hmm. when this film was released. So do you remember your impressions of this movie from the... Mid seventies. Yeah,
1: I just it just blew me away. I was like, wow, it was, you know. First of all, I was also watching Monty Python at the same time, and in some ways, Topor's cutout style is very reminiscent of Terry Gilliam. Um, so it was like, I mean, it was it was everything about it. It was you know amazing imagery. That that weird you know soundtrack, um, and then and then just the fact that it was animation that was engaging in, in in big fairly big ideas or at least important ideas, and you know for somebody raised on Disney uh, films and uh, Warner Brothers cartoons, you know I don't think I I don't think I had ever seen even though they already existed I don't think I'd ever seen a full length animated film that was act- <clears throat> it was actually a serious film, and so I think that's what really impressed me.
0: So that actually leads to one of the first questions uh, that, that I, I have. Um, and we were talking a little bit before we recorded. Um, Criterion has a lot of uh, extra content on this film. Um, it has the the original French version of the film. It also has uh, an English dub of the film, which I also watched because I wanted to not read it. I wanted to be able to look at the screen. Mm-hmm. So I watched both of those. I watched the French one first. Then I watched the English one. And then it has a number of um, shorts or pretty long pieces on, uh, Renee, uh, Lallou, the, the director and, um, Roland Topor, the visual artist for this. Um, and so I got really into thinking about, uh, or listening to them talk about animation. Um, I've also been listening to a podcast where they've been talking about the, the films of, uh, Miyazaki, um, who I've, mm-hmm. I've actually never seen any of his films, but they, there was an idea that was introduced there. Um, uh, The idea that animation is um, often, especially in America, miscast as a genre rather than an art Mm -hmm. form, Um, Mm -hmm. which hadn't occurred to me. But when they started to talk about it, I was like, yes, that's true, actually. Like, Like we think, well, it's animated, so it's in this. Um, it's in this bucket of films rather than, well, this is actually a way to create art. And then that art can be any number of different genres, any number of different things. Um, so I guess my my question is, are you a fan of animation as an art form generally? Is, is is that something you're drawn to? It sounds like at least in high school, this animation festival was something that, that you were interested in.
1: Yeah, I, I actually am. And I and I think I, I need to credit my son because my son is a kind of a he's kind of an expert in, in Japanese anime. And you mentioned Miyazaki. Uh, I've seen, I think, pretty much every Miyazaki film. Um, and so, and, and then there's, there's other, and I, and I would love to have these on, on the on the podcast, but we've been limiting ourselves to films that people can rent. And unfortunately, the Miyazaki films, come, all, all the student Ghibli uh, films uh, can only be seen on Amazon if you purchase them. Uh, so even though they're wonderful films, I'm not going to expect our listeners necessarily to buy everyone. Uh, buy everyone, but you know one of the things that um, that the Japanese animators understood and the French animators did as well very early on is that animation is a significant art form, and there are some very deliberate choices made in Fantastic Planet in terms of how the film is animated. In fact, when Lou talks in one of his one of the interviews about him that. Um, he feels that American animation tends to put emphasis on kind of the fluidity of movement and the realism of of, of the images, whereas his his art is deliberately simplistic at times. It's deliberately kind of calls attention to its uh, crude is probably the wrong word, but it certainly doesn't have the smoothness of other kinds of animation. Um, that doesn't necessarily make it different, but it but his for him it's the ideas that the film is communicating which is as important as how it is animated. So in a sense, he wants the animation almost to draw attention to itself so that you also think about the ideas. Now, a Miyazaki Miyazaki film is beautiful. Miyazaki films, are up until recently, were all hand-drawn. And so they are very kind of smooth in an American style, but they also engage really serious, uh, significant themes. What's interesting is there is a a connection between French animation and the Ghibli studio. Uh, Miyazaki, uh, as as well as... um, People who worked with him, they were deeply influenced by a a French animated film of the of the nineteen fifties called The King of the Mockingbird. Uh, It was a film that was begun in fifty two. Production was interrupted. It actually wasn't completed until the eighties. But it's it's a little bit like our story of Rules of the Game, even in its incomplete form. It was very influential, and so Miyazaki, as well as uh, uh, Isao uh, Takahata, who directed Grave of the Fireflies, one of the truly great animated films, they were both influenced by by French animation so yeah, there's this long tradition that I think American audiences have not until recently, and by recently I mean the last 20 to 30 years become aware of, because for American audiences, animation was, as I said earlier, Warner Brother cartoons or, or Disney films um, which isn't to say that they aren't you know those films aren't accomplished in their own way, but they're they got this kind of reputation as being made for children, um, whereas true animation is is for all ages.
0: Yeah, it's kind of a uh, a limiting perspective. I mean, that's that's one of the things that that I wrote as I was thinking about this is that my view of animation um, is growing up at least as a kid there was disney and then there was wannabe disney i would think of like a don bluth or somebody like that is like well they're just not quite as in my head it was well they're not quite as good or maybe they don't have the money to make things look as good or 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 the make the stories as good but but, like that was sort of all that there was in in my mind growing up was disney and people who wished they were um and, and i gotta say watching this thinking about okay this comes out in 73 um that's about it might even be the exact same year or right around when my favorite uh animated disney movie comes out and it's so interesting which is robin hood and it's Mm. interesting thinking about you know these two films coming out at roughly the same time and how how very different they are and how how they're interested in very different things um i I was interested in what you said about uh uh lulu talking about um preferencing ideas over movement um another he 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 makes that comment a lot and sometimes he says something other than ideas which i think is very interesting um which points a little bit more towards uh topor which is he talks about graphic style over movement right right. these are so consciously not just hand drawn but they are in the style of this particular artist uh roland topor who i was not aware of him but uh, there's on criterion they had a, a uh, like an hour long TV special, French TV special from the mid seventies about him, which really expanded my view of who this guy was. I mean, he's somebody who is a, a French, uh, like um, uh I think Panic was the name of the movement. It was like a, a neo-surrealism in the 70s, um, uh, this French art movement. And he sort of does all of these different things. He writes music, he writes plays, he's um, he does animation, he writes books, he does illustrate, he does all these different things. And it maybe actually get a, a great appreciation for his artwork. And then I realized, well, Part of this animation style is saying, how can we highlight the artwork of Roland Topor? Not necessarily always make it move fluidly, but like, like every line. Like I, the, the second time I watched this, I just looked at all of the, the pen strokes in every piece of shading of every character and things like that. And and so it actually is consciously telling you also this is drawn. It's not trying to hide that fact from you. Um, and I really, actually really like that. As somebody who um, who's interested in 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 visual arts, who's interested in drawing, I find it very. Um, I, I I sort of loved how kind of lovingly you could look at Topor's drawing in this.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a really good good point, Sam. And the other thing that I discovered about Roland Topor that I did not know was the other connection I have to his work is that he wrote the novel. On which Polanski's film, the uh, the Tenant, is is based, and that is a film that I have, it, to me, is one of the scariest films, just psychologically, that I've that I've ever ever watched. And so Topor is really interesting in that respect. Before we lose this thread, though, there may be people listening thinking I missed an important point when I talked about anime animated films not being for adults. The fact is, in, there was a 1952 animated version of Animal Farm, um, but the other one I should have mentioned was Ralph Bakshi. Uh, Ralph Bakshi and I, about the same year, I think it was 72, 73, came out with Fritz the Cat, which was uh, X-rated, an X-rated animated film for adults. And then Bakshi went on famously and unfortunately to do an animated version of Lord of the Rings, uh, which was supposed to be in two parts. And the first part was so bad that um, they never did the second part. So there were, in fact, American wannabes trying to do films more um, aimed at an adult audience, but what's interesting to me, even about his Lord of the Rings, was he used rotoscoping, uh, which is a kind of cheating animation in my in my view. I don't much like rotoscoping. It, it kind of it kind of moves moves into the valley of the uncanny, actually. Um, but anyway, so I feel like I, I, I need to needed to add
0: that absolutely i will i will add to Bakshi's um lord of the rings we showed that to our kids oh, probably about 10 years ago and it's the first movie they ever watched that said it hurt their heads to watch <laughs> there was it's like and it was the rotoscope and they were like this is really hard to look at um it was it's interesting but it's like it, it, was, it was it was very difficult um so if we think about animation as the art form um then what would you say is the genre of this movie i mean is this Is this Mm -hmm. science fiction fantasy? Is it, I mean, it's definitely set in a world that we would associate with science fiction fantasy. It's also heavily allegorical. So, so I mean, is it, so do you think this actually is science fiction fantasy or is it just using that to get at some pretty powerful uh, allegorical comments
1: well you know I, th- I i yeah i i think it's 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 not straight i think you've actually captured the kind of mix sam because it's clearly not a straight allegory but it's heavily allegorical you know i think based on how the film was um how lalu uh, approached the producer uh as as a sci-fi film i think that's the way he thought about it primarily so i i, I do think it's sci-fi but um it's sci-fi with a lot on its mind, you know? And I, and I also think it's, 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 it's also an art film. I mean, as you, as, you, as you were saying earlier, yes, it's sci-fi, yes, it's allegory, yes, it's fantasy, but it's also a kind of display of, of Topor's art, which is, which is somewhat ironic because Topor got tired, tired of the project and, and it kind of essentially pulled out of it. And, uh, you know, they, they had to work with his artwork, but he wasn't really deeply involved as they were actually going through the production
0: yeah and what i think is interesting about it as as a piece of sci-fi it almost is mocking of some elements of like of hard sci-fi where like the science part of sci-fi is really important because we get these weird through the like info session thing with, with the headset we get all of this like kind of hard scientific data dropped on us yes. that is utter nonsense it doesn't yes. mean anything and it's especially when you're watching it with subtitles you're reading all of this stuff thinking i don't know what this means and because you're reading it you think this must be important um and it's it's important as a body of knowledge to the movie but no individual piece of information is particularly important nor does it even make sense because it's like talking about temperatures in units of measure that don't mean anything to us and it's um so i i loved that because i i had a moment of panic when, I, when, there's, when there were those info dumps the first time, and I thought, should I be writing stuff down? Is this stuff I'm going to need to know to make sense of this? And it turns out you can relax during those.
1: Well, I, I actually, I didn't have time to watch the entire movie in the English uh, dub, but I was curious what the info sessions would sound like in the info dub, in the English dub, just because of those kind of nonsensical words. Because I started thinking, well, is it is it a bad translation and and actually when when they when they say it in english there are times when it seems like the sound almost drops and you can't even hear exactly what they're saying so uh-huh. it kind of just illustrates what your your point sam which is that okay so she's getting a whole bunch of information but you don't really need to know what that information is all you need to know is that she's getting educated this way
0: yes and that and that uh tear is also picking up this this education um when i first saw this a couple things came to mind that you already mentioned but i'm just going to go through the list um i in almost the first frame thought about terry Gilliam and thought oh this reminds me of that but then as it would pull out more it's like but this is also not that it's i mean it's interesting in a different kind of way but but definitely that style um i Through a lot of it, I thought about *Planet of the Apes*, which would have come out about five years before this, while this was being produced. And that was um, another—that was another. This was based on a sci-fi novel. That was another sci-fi novel from roughly that same time. But just seeing like the humans in these collars, made to, you know, fight each other for sport in some of these things, I was like, oh, this has a little bit of that feel to it. Um, The the music um, made me think of certain elements of like 70s pink floyd albums oh yeah um, you know uh I, I i'm a big fan of um uh okay i'm showing my weirdness here i'm a big fan of of um dark side of the moon played to um to uh the wizard of oz and there's definitely moments where you're listening to the music yeah. and it's like i expect this to turn into a pink floyd song at some point um and then just just in general just like the kind of late 60s 70s psychedelic art kind of stuff there's definitely a lot of um a lot of that those were all you know kind of clear things that i was seeing um seeing into this did you have a chance you had a chance to watch the uh renee lalou the the interview with him yeah, yeah. Um, okay so there was i thought his story was fascinating yeah. of sort of how he became an animator so if if, if people don't know this um he kind of bounced around occupationally early um he He was an apprentice to a puppeteer for a while which is which which is like seems like a meaningless piece of information. but when you think about the animation style, what they end up doing is actually far closer to um kind of animated puppeteering because it's this stop motion of these kind of hand drawn puppets that they use mm-hmm. um, He works in a psychiatric hospital and um creates films with the patients at the hospital um so they do the the one of them is like this shadow puppet film that they make that gets aired on french tv and then they then they make animated films you and and he's using the drawings of the patients and then he is animating them right Mm -hmm. which is so interesting because that ends up being what he does with topor right topor Mm creates these drawings. And then he takes, I, at least this was my understanding, he and the other animators take these drawings and turn them into these kind of um, paper puppets that you can articulate in stop motion um, uh, to a kind of degree. So what he was doing there became the basis for what he does with, um, for for the animation style with Topor. Now, what's so fascinating about the animation style is it is both... Um, I think in part driven by the financial limitations of what they had. Yeah. But at the same time, it, like we were talking about, it's also a choice. It's also like, this is there. There is also a reason to do this this way. It's not just because we couldn't do something else.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I think Sam Hollywood, this is a theme maybe we've struck We've, we've hit uh, on before. I mean, Hollywood seems to favor art that is as invisible as possible. In other words, if you think about, you know, the, um, uh the 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 tropes of hollywood edit editing the uh you know the notion that you're you're supposed to forget you're watching a film even even though a, a hollywood film is constructed with with a lot of you know kind of well-worn techniques the techniques are so well worn that you stop noticing them so you stop you forget that you're watching an artificial world and that's not something that. Uh, Lalu or, or Torpo are, are interested in doing right. They want to remind us that we're watching a work of art, at the same time that we're being absorbed into it. Um, it makes me think of uh, a quote from uh, one of my favorite authors, Joseph Conrad. He talked about how he loved marionette shows with he said with th- with strings as thick as your finger. In other words, he wanted to see the marionettes, but he also wanted to see the art the the artificial artificiality of the marionettes at the same time. So, you know, a film like Fantastic Planet, you never, you're, you're never intended to suspend disbelief in the way that a Hollywood film has you suspend disbelief, right? Um, it wants you to be aware of the art at the same time as it wants you to enter the world of the art. And that to me is, it's, what's really significant. You know, and, and Malou talks about meeting Topor. It's what he says, uh, he says a Topor, he says he was a da- really a dazzling character. He taught what imagination, he taught me what imagination was. What an idea was. Meeting Roland changed my life. It's the ideas that prevail. Um, so I think that's what it keeps coming back to for
0: him. Well, that's what was cool about this film, and I don't think we've watched anything yet that is this much of a collaboration. That it feels like 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 to a huge degree as I was even watching the Criterion stuff, like I would watch stuff on Lulu and thought, wow, Lulu is really important to this. And then I would watch the stuff on Topor and be like, you know, Topor is the one who's really important to this, that, that their work really, this really is the two of them creating this but they're both playing very different roles now but like you said in fan that has more to do maybe with some of their earlier work by the time we get to this topor i think because he is the kind of person who's interested in everything um the thought of doing a feature length movie um because their their other shorts are about 10 minutes long this is Mm -hmm. seven times that i think he his i think his energy and interest go in so many different directions that the thought of just doing this um probably is too much for him but i did love how much it is this, even the vision of it is a collaboration between these two.
1: Yeah, and I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying to think of similar collaborations at this level. I mean, obviously, when we looked at Casablanca and Third Man, we talked about those being collaborative. You could argue that uh, AI was a posthumous collaboration of Kubrick and um, and Spielberg, but there are a couple of filmmaking teams I can think of that we haven't yet watch. So uh, in the 40s and 50s in England, there was Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger. We haven't watched any of their films. Um, through the 80s and early 90s, there's there obviously the Ivory Merchant uh, collaboration. Uh, and I guess you could count the Cone brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we ha- we did watch her brother out there a while ago, so I guess that would qualify as as a kind of cl- as a kind of collaboration. So there there are there are kind of collaborative teams like that. We could also talk about collaborations or collaborations between directors and actors as well. Um, mm-hmm. But you know this is you know John Ford and, and, and John Wayne or um, Robert De Niro and Martin Scorsese those kinds of things. But you're right. This is this is truly a collaborative effort. Although by the time the film is actually being made in Prague um a you know, lot carrying a lot of or is really carrying a lot of the weight of it
0: yeah um the last thing i want to say about the animation style and then i want to get into the ideas is that um i often talk in this uh this podcast about the the pieces of art that make me want to make art and part mm-hmm. of their um animation style also makes me want to go do animation i've i've done this in the past um and, and done some projects like this and i watched this and just thought I should just go make an. I need to go make an animated short about something. Like it's just like it got me excited, and I want to. And even th- looking at Topor's drawings, then kind of brought to a kind of life. Thought it will be interesting to do what they're doing. Like I said, like really push the 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 hand-drawn element out there instead of, and my, because my sense was always hiding it, and instead, like, well, make, actually make that the thing that's interesting about it, so, so this motivated me that way, so I'm always thankful when somebody recommends something that makes me want to make stuff, so that, that's always (laughs) great, as Lelou said, though, he's really interested in the ideas, so, Maybe we should talk a little bit about what this movie um, is potentially about. Um, I think its meaning is pretty malleable. I think you can um, put it onto a lot of things. And that's actually one of the things Thor talks about in that longer television special is that's the kind of art that he likes the most. is not an art that is about this one thing, but he likes to create art and have people tell him what's it about because he's like, yes, it is about that but it also can be about this it can also can be about this i feel like this has a lot of kind of potential uh, pretty even even alle- even though it is uh, it is it is heavily allegorical it has lots of different things that you could see it as an allegory for so when you watch this what jumped out to you i'm especially interested in what jumped out to you in the 70s when you watched this kind of closer to its creation and then what do you feel now
1: you know that's a that's a really good question i am trying to I, i'm not sure what it was in the 70s that most struck, most struck me probably it was the the aspect of the aspect of the, of the allegory uh, the race the racism allegory is probably the one that that struck me most uh, strongly at the time and it's probably the one that i think is is really the most interesting in some ways even though it's obvious i think you can go a lot of different directions with it in terms of what it means about one race considering itself superior to another or whether it even recognizes the other race as actually being human right so you get the idea that even though the ohms are named for man they are actually in some ways subhuman you get the notion that um ohms are okay in the right place, right? As long as they are domesticated and they behave the way we want them to behave, they're okay. But once they start acting wild, then they're not okay. Uh, and, you, and, and you can see that as, as evidence of certain kinds of racist attitudes, right? As long as you stay in your place in our society, you're okay. But once you start acting in ways that we find inconvenient or, or that we dislike, then we're going to kind of eradicate you. So I think, you know, that that element it, to me is probably primary um, then of course the animal rights element but but even this time around what struck me afresh was kind of the technology element the notion of who who is who controls the technology is in control and at the same time watch out for your technology because that technology can be turned turned against you and I don't think that that technological element of the story is something that I would have, thought about uh in 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 the 70s but that that struck me this time more in a sense more than anything else
0: yeah i was struck the first the first sense that i got was oh this is about animal rights and the reason that i thought that was because they they hit that pretty early when they refer to the ohms as animals Mm -hmm. Um, i also one of my one of my podcast partners uh, professor annie berglund Mm -hmm. is teaches courses on animal rights so we talk about that a lot so like my head was kind of in that space and then (laughs) (laughs) Um, The third reason I thought about it is we have a box elder tree by our house and we are in peak season for box elder bugs and they start to get into the house. Mm -hmm. And because I've been on quarantine these last uh, nine days i've been walking about around my house killing box elder bugs in the house because that's what you need to do and my wife had just made some off-handed comment i think just to get into my head about like killing god's creatures and then i watch this and it's like every time i see a box elder bug now i sit and think about it and i think like am i a And are these ohms and what are like what are we doing at the same time i know these are insects in my house and there's a thousand of them outside and i need to deal with it but it like that hit that hit really, really hard. Now, I was wondering, am I projecting that onto this? What's interesting is um, on Criterion, they have two animated shorts that the that uh, Lelou and Topor did. One of them is called uh, Dead Time, mm. um, which is really interesting. And it's all about how human beings are creatures whose... Um, I forget the wording that they use basically creatures who from the very beginning are trained to kill and trained to die. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's very dark, but there's about halfway through. They, they talk about like, you know, when the wars are over and in these intermittent periods of peace, what do these human beings do? They kill their fellow animals. And there's this whole segment about like Mm. um, hunting and about like, like uh, so, and it's definitely leaning into a kind of like animal rights thing. So I thought, Oh, that was there in, in like 1964 they were already talking about that so it's like that it's not something i'm reading into it it's clearly like part of their ethos a little bit um the other allegory that i thought a lot about um because this film oddly touches on something i i did my senior research on when i was in in college um which is this film is made uh is actually made in czechoslovakia Mm-hmm. And it's made in Czechoslovakia, starting in 1967, and they work on it through the early 70s. Now, if you know anything about Czechoslovakian history in the 20th century, that's a really interesting time. So, in 1968, you have Prague Spring, where you have um, the the leader of, of Czechoslovakia, uh, Alexander Dubcek, is sort of like. Um, pushing for what he called socialism with a human face, right? right? It's like, how do we how do we loosen up some of the constrictions here? And you get a little bit more democracy, a little bit more capitalism, but still within this this structure. And then by August you have the Soviets rolling in and crushing that. And then they go through a process of normalization, which makes me think of deomization, right? There is this like how do we put things back in order? We've let them get to essentially we've let them Get too free, develop too much. How do we then put them back in their place? And it's fascinating to think that this film is made by people who are literally living through this process mm-hmm. in the middle of it. So I couldn't help but think, even if it wasn't there when they started, this is there as they're as they're making it. And you think about, especially the 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 second deoming, where there's all the technology getting brought in, and it feels like the tanks rolling into Prague. Like it, mm-hmm. it just it just feels like that. The third thing is i thought about the holocaust mm-hmm. um, because topor is uh his mm-hmm. parents were polish jews his father was a sculptor and they they actually had to hide him from the gestapo as they were fleeing fleeing the nazis so like that store and his father was in an internment camp for yeah. i think close to a year so when you see in the first deoming when you see those discs roll out and the gas start coming out it's like this is so clearly holocaust imagery as well so all of these things are very much kind of slapping you in the face saying it is about this as well.
1: And I think Sam, that is the way that really good allegories work. Um, you know, so for example, of, of the examples you gave, you know, probably the Prague spring is the one that, that may occur, that, that may occur to the fewest viewers, uh, the one that is most tied to a specific historical event. Of course the Holocaust is as well, but there's a way in which the Holocaust kind of lives on in our our imaginations, unfortunately, that's kind of inescapable. But the allegory works, and, and really good allegories work, even if you don't always know what the topical reference at the time might, might have been. Uh, so it has all those layers, and I think it works beautifully at all of those layers. Um, I also wanna just quickly note that the film, the film feels to me like it, it ends awful quickly. Um, and and I and I did learn from one of the one of those extras that there were four additional scenes that they just uh, they didn't have time. To, and I don't know what they would have been, but I, I it's just one of those things you feel like nah. I feel like we're missing five, maybe even ten minutes. It's just like whoops that you had run out of ideas and you had to. But no, the 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 Czech producers were tired of them and said you guys have to get out of the studio now. So they did the best they could. But I, I'm really curious to know what would have happened with a little more time.
0: Yeah, I I have to presume it needs to be at the ending because it doesn't feel like they ran out of ideas. It feels like they ran out of time to talk about their ideas. And there is just this kind of it's weird to have an exposition dump at the end of a movie to be like, and then all this stuff happened. And here's the here's the big idea we want to say. Like, it definitely feels like that's where those pieces feel like they would have been because I'm actually interested in the story. The story gets very strange at the end and it's like, oh, can we get a little bit more of this? Um, so, yeah, I had the same thought and I was I was almost excited to hear that there were scenes that didn't get made because it made me feel like, OK, it doesn't feel like they just didn't know how to end this. It, it You know, it it gives a little bit more even if it's not, that's not where those are going to go. It creates the mystery or the legend, right? This is a print the legend thing, right? It's like, yeah, that's what it is. It's like, (laughs) it was going to be even better, you know, (laughs) if you have a little bit more of that. Um, But I also love the things where we don't get full explanations of things. Like there's a great moment. And here's where maybe we can just shift into thinking about moments in this film as well, because along with the big ideas, there are lots of interesting little moments. The moments when they, talk a little bit about the origins of the ohms and they talk about their home planet and they show a few images from the (laughs) ohms home planet but they don't go in great depth about how did they get here what is the point of them being here what was this planet you just see these like fragments of a broken world and a broken society and that has a that's where i thought a little bit of like planet of the apes kind of things too there's like a A sense that maybe this actually is attached to the world we live in, but just in this distant kind of way. Mm -hmm. And I really liked that moment. Do do you have moments in this film that sort of stand out to you or or hit you in a particular kind of way?
1: Well, yeah, a couple, I guess, Sam. um, I mean, the the opening always hits me. Um, I just... uh, I, I think... I think because it's the combination of the close-up on the woman's face. And also, what I love about the opening, again, allegorically, is we are both Drag and Om. And so what's going on in that opening is those kids, the way they're tormenting that little Om until she dies. I mean, I've been a little boy. Um, I know what it's like to, uh, to to impose your will on another creature it, just because it's smaller than you and you can kind of exploit it. So I, I, I just think it's a brilliant opening because it's really, in me, literally immediate race, right? She's really, it's the middle of things. She's really running along. So that grabbed me. The, the other moment is, um, it, it was one of the things that I remembered from, from the first time I ever watched the film it was one of the images that always struck me, which is what actually happens when they get to the savage planet and they see the, uh, the meditation heads kind of coming down on, on the statues, that the, that image of those meditation heads kind of floating up into the sky and the Ohms kind of taking their vengeance on them. That, that was, that, that has always struck with me for the 50 years since I first saw the film.
0: Yeah. Uh, what do you make of the, 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 if we're thinking allegorically like the meaning of the the fact that the trogs, their most important thing to do is to meditate and then we and and it, they could have just left it at meditation and these balls fly away but then we get this other strange thing when we get to that planet of them connecting with other other beings and then they have this this statue dance like that's the stuff where where i just thought like okay i'm in for whatever they want to show me this is so weird
1: yes the bizarre nuptial ritual as they call it yes well i i I tend to think that's one of the ways in which the film is not a consistent allegory i think that's i just think that's the sci-fi part taking off like, you know, what, you know, what are we going to have these meditators do with their with their heads? Well, let's let's have them go up into this up on, onto the moon and, and engage in the strange statuesque dance. I I don't know that there is a an allegorical significance to it. I think there I mean, I guess you could argue that, you know, one of the ways in which the drugs are resentful. The ohms is that the ohms are kind of like rabbits. Right. They talk about how they breed uh, so prolifically and the drugs are much less. Uh, I don't know what you kind of call it. Fertile, they're kind of like large creatures that they don't that, that they don't reproduce as quickly, and so there's a sense in which they kind of need whatever these whoever these alien beings are that they're meeting. They kind of need them, and so you could argue at an allegorical level that it's about the importance of interrelationships of species. Which is one of the which is one of the ways in which the film concludes is somehow these two very different species are now gonna learn to live in some kind of mutual benefit. Even though it's really not quite clear to me what the mutual benefit is, except that the ohms are gonna stop destroying their statues.
0: Yeah. I I another scene that was really strange that I loved and I love the way they set it up is when um Ter, when he's still pretty young, when he kind of crawls away and he walks into the room where there are the four Trogs like in there, and there's that weird tentacle thing coming down and they're just like changing colors and shape shifting. And it's, it's uh, because that is this moment where, I mean, like you said, at the beginning, you're both, you realize you're both Omen Trog, right? And that's a moment where you're clearly put into the, into the person of tear to say, I have, I am in a world I don't understand. And that scene the first time I saw it, it felt like that scene went on for 10 minutes. It doesn't. It goes on for about maybe 40 seconds. But it feels <laughs> like it like it goes on forever the first time you see it. And it's not explained and you don't see anything really like that. You see a little bit of shape shifting when uh Tiwa, when she goes to sleep and like her legs become a tail. You see that. But other than that, like that's just this strange occurrence that tear sees and it it kind of i mean it frightens him and and i gotta say as a viewer it was frightening to me in a really interesting kind of way i very much i very much like that
1: yeah i do i i do too and i and, and i and i also like as you said sam the idea that it's not it's not explained to us it's not explained what it means why they do it um it's just it's just something that happens and so there's a sense in which we are just kind of uh, we're we're spectators in this world in the same way that if you were to visit another planet, there's unlikely to be a a guide to come up to you and say, "You know, let me explain to you exactly what's going on here you you just got to explore it and figure it out for yourself and I also think what's going on there is it's we're we're back to the art form here. I think there's just the pleasure that topor takes in creating these beings and have them do strange things because that's that's the way in which animation is so expansive there are so many things you can do with animation that you can't do in the physical world that you can't even do with cgi it's just a it's just a different kind of alternate reality
0: yeah i think there there are a lot of moments that are things that are almost throwaway moments where something very strange happened and i right, i think that is topor like like when they're walking across the the desert or whatever where it kind of looks like like the top of a brain or something and then it then that stuff starts to move or mm. the scene. yeah and it's just like i don't know where i am <laughs> and, and i i i really really like this stuff. another interesting thing i thought about um with the the trog culture was how it is this combination of meditation and committee meetings that they they go to this big arena oh, yeah. and watch big screens showing this committee meeting that's happening in the middle and and it's so like it, 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 that is such an interesting society as well um, just you know um, trying to you know and part of that stuff to me feels um, again if we're going back to you know maybe a little bit of the uh, the communist allegory thing you know that we have these um, kind of powerful central committees that are making decisions for these other things um but i but i found even the the visuals of that to be very to be very powerful and it's it's an interesting way for if the um info sessions are meaningless information dumps i feel like those committee meetings are very interesting information dumps Mm -hmm. where we're learning about like we're getting allusions to other projects that they're working on other missions that they're on to the big questions that they have about the ohms like is adaptability the same thing as intelligence and how should we be thinking about these things like i really i thought those scenes were pretty powerful and pretty interesting
1: i have to mention one other scene which is kind of in there just for fun it's probably the most gilliam-esque scene in the film and that is when that egg hatches and the other creature comes up, and you think, oh, is it is it the mother? You know, the way it licks the thing, the, licks the little baby. You think, isn't that nice? And the next thing you know, he swallows it whole. I just, yes. I just I it's, it's 30, 35 seconds, right? But it's, and it's just thrown in there, I think, just because it's, it's fun and it's a little ironic, but it's also like, yeah, that's the way this world works. Um, yeah. And it is the way nature works sometimes.
0: Well, and I think I think there's there's another creature that that also presents that maybe even in an even darker way, which is that caged creature with the long oh. snout that looks like branches. Yes, that a, a birds bird type creatures yes. will land on it. It grabs them, shakes them, and throws them to the ground because that thing's not even eating them. It's no, just no, delighting it in killing <laughs> them, just delighting <laughs> in destroying them and I find that really, really fascinating to think about Um, like this, this idea that this is, we are so caught up in the, the, the trogs and the Ohms, but it's like, Mm -hmm. there is also other life here and there is other life here that um, also is life that kills and sometimes seemingly for no reason. (laughs) Um, The last thing that I want to say about this movie is, we have not mentioned the amazing sound design of this this Mm -hmm. film my Mm -hmm. daughter and i watched this together we actually watched it she watched it with me again and the reason she wanted to watch it again is she wanted to just hear the sounds of this movie Mm. um in the 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 deoming scene the thing that shoots those little pellets it it sounds like Mm. popcorn going off or something but there's something that's so amazing about not only the music in this film but just the the whole sound design of this film um and that's something that i feel like in the documentary things that i watched nobody they they talked about the music but they didn't talk as much about the sounds Mm -hmm. and i thought the sounds were just incredible Mm -hmm. so i don't know if i have anything more to say about that other than it's worth the price of admission i think just for the sound design of this because i actually for something that seems like it's created on you know on a shoestring like they don't have huge budgets to do a lot of other things i don't sense the the sound is as good as every as anything that i've heard like i really love it yeah i
1: think uh, I, I, a sound is is something i find hard to pay attention to especially the first time through a film so that's a good point sam it's a good reason to rewatch a film because maybe you can hear it more uh as you as you watch it
0: yeah anything else you want to talk about with this movie
1: well i want to say a couple things more more along the lines of historical context um and and the first thing has to do with with collaboration. That um, I want to remind folks uh, that the birth of motion pictures is in France, uh, and it's the Lumiere brothers uh, together in 1895 that really create the first film. Um, so France has a very long tradition of film collaborations. We were talking collaboration earlier. Well, that first collaboration was between the, the Lumiere brothers, but even even before the Lumiere brothers. Um, the French are really responsible for, for kind of the first sort of animated, animated films. Uh, there was a, um, a projection of an animated film on something called the praxinoscope, which came after the, the uh, zoetrope. Uh, and that was actually used to show an animated film as early as October, 1892. Hmm. So it's interesting to me that, you know, we're talking about like discovering animated films in the 1970s and and forward where at the same time. They are actually are they're now more than 100 years old uh, coming out coming out of France. And so it seems appropriate that this would be a French film for that reason. And of course, there's a lot of other recent French animated films we watched several months ago. We watched Persepolis uh which uh it's a middle east setting but it's, it's a french production um another one i would recommend to people would be uh the triplets of belleville uh that's a really really fine french animated film
0: uh one other thing that i'll mention just because you haven't yet but it touches on uh, a filmmaker who we've watched a few times on here that uh topor is in a Werner herzog movie right in yes, his yes. Uh, nosferatu topor yes. plays renfield right I've is. not seen that movie, but it, but I mean I I'm I'm on board with Herzog anyhow. But now I really want to see it because I want to see Topor acting.
1: And that's uh, and if we were to watch that film, you're asking about my history, Sam. I saw that film in '79 when it came out because I was a big Herzog fan uh, and right. Klaus Kinski, of course, who appropriately <laughs> enough is track drag- is uh, is an Asperatu.
0: Yes. Uh, so what do you have for us for next week?
1: Well, you know, these are the dying uh, the dying weeks of the baseball season as the playoffs are in uh, are in uh, progress right now, unfortunately featuring film, uh, teams I can't root for. Um, but anyway, so uh, I think that we ought to watch uh, another baseball film. Uh, we did Field of Dreams a while ago, but I think I want to watch one appropriate for the World Series. And uh, we'll go back to a John Sayles film uh, and uh, Eight Men Out. Uh, from nineteen eighty eight, which is his film about the Black Sox scandal, the nineteen nineteen World Series.
0: I love this movie. I haven't seen this in a long time. I can't wait to watch this with my son. I I he's very aware of Joe Jackson, but I don't think we've watched this movie yet. Um I I because of when I grew up, you know, around eighty-nine, so the with the um 70th anniversary of the Black Sox scandal, like uh this was such a big This is such a big deal in my life i remember watching this movie not in theaters but uh but soon after i'm very excited to watch this barrett thank you so much for um making me aware of fantastic planet um this is a movie that i will definitely watch again i will keep thinking about this was a really fun one to watch with my daughter and to kind of process um and think through it um and i will be recommend this is also a movie i'll be recommending to uh professor annie berglund who teaches mm-hmm. animal ethics saying this is interesting it's definitely something i want to talk with with chris gertz who's our european historian to say this is a really interesting cold war film a really interesting post-world war ii film so i yeah I there's i can just see this plugging into lots and lots of different places so thank you so much for recommending this and we will be back next week to talk about eight men out in the video store